Hello everyone, my name is Caleb Walker and you're listening to Season 5, Episode 34 of Brody Sports Talk. I am joined by the captain of the Oklahoma State Fan Club, the captain of the Denver Broncos Fan Club. He is Captain Orange, Derek Rusnick. Derek, how are you doing today? Hello, everyone. I hope that you've got uh, rested and recovered after the national championship game and uh, you enjoyed the college football season as much as I did. Uh, I love football. The, the, the playoffs are here in the NFL. The college football season has wrapped up. I am in a really good mood because I love me some football. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It is a wonderful football time. We just had, like Derek said, the College Football National Championship, which was a wonderful game uh, between the Michigan Wolverines and the Washington Huskies, with the Wolverines winning that 34-13. to 13. Uh, Derek, uh, I see you shining a spotlight on that game. Uh, what, what do you want to talk about with it? Yeah, so this is the last college football game of the year, and so... I, I've been talking about college football all year in these spotlights and in other places, and I want to shine a spotlight on the winning head coach, uh, and that is Jim Harbaugh. Uh, my question to you today is what does Jim Harbaugh need uh, to do? What does he have to prove anymore? So uh, let's just go back to the very beginning of his college career. Uh, he was a successful college quarterback himself. Came in third in the Heisman voting, uh, a successful, uh, semi-pro coach, um, had, uh, a two, had two losses in his, uh, time there, uh, a successful college coach at Stanford. He went to two bowl games in four years, including an Orange Bowl. Uh, he had a successful head coaching career. Uh, three NFC Championship games in his first three seasons. So three out of four seasons, he went to the NFC Championship game with the 49ers. He went to one Super Bowl appearance where he lost to his brother, John, uh, versus, you know, the Ravens. And then he went back to his, uh, the place where he got, uh, where he played and that was Michigan and he has now won a national championship for his alma mater, you know, hopefully this uh, this will light a fire under Mike Gundy's behind and he can win a national championship with his alma mater. But that's a different story. So everyone's talking about, OK, what is is Harbaugh going to do next? So he's done everything that he could probably do at this point. You know, OK, well, I'm going to go win uh, something in the, the NFL ranks done that i've you know really good nfl coach i'm going to go win something at the college level done that just won a national championship he's got a really big offer on the table um for like 125 million dollars to come back to be the head coach at michigan the way things are changing uh, and a lot of the allegations that are against him and against michigan He's probably going to go to the NFL, and here in a little bit we'll talk about some of the coaching openings and where he could go, but I think at this point, um, I don't think he has anything else to prove as a, a, in a coaching sense. Hey, I'm a good coach. Uh, I put good people around me. I prepare my guys for the game as it comes, and so I am going to – now that he's finally got that national championship under his belt – I'm going to put him up there in that upper tier of 
uh, football coaches, not college football coaches, not NFL coaches, but football coaches in general. I'm going to put them in that, in that upper tier up there as uh, a really good coach and a leader of men. I really don't see any spots where I can poke holes in your argument, Derek. Uh, I want to just to, to give you a little bit of a hard time and mess with you today. But, uh, you know, I'm looking at his college career. Uh, as a coach, technically he coached the San Diego Toreros first. Toreros. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, that's kind of like division two football, mm-hmm. 29 and six with four of those losses coming in his first season. So completely turned them around in a short matter of moments. Stanford, a team that has been a disaster at the division one level for years. He got it to 12 and one, won the Orange Bowl. 29 and 21 overall and a winning record in the Pac 10 at that time. And then he's at Michigan. You know, I can't say that he's had a, a lot of great bowl records because when I'm looking here, a lot of those have been losses, but 86 and 25 overall, 60 and 17 in the Big Ten conference. And at Michigan, so in college, his overall record is 144 and 52 which is a a clip shy of 75% winning percent. Really dang good. Uh, in the NFL, 44, 19, and 1, including, like you said, not only a loss in the Super Bowl, but he also went to do two NFC Championship games. So in the playoffs three times, on the cusp of the Super Bowl t- twice, and losing in the Super Bowl once. You know, around a 700 NFL win percentage. He's the dude. Uh, I don't think that the song was written about him, but, uh, all he does is win no matter what. And, uh, while I don't think I can sit here and say I love Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh loves football and does a good job coaching it. So kudos to you, Jim. Good point. Uh, Derek. Do you mind if I uh, switch it up and let's just talk about the nature of football as a whole? I would love to. So for those of you who listen, you know that I am sometimes a bit of an old soul when it comes to football because I remember how it was when I grew up. And, you know, it wasn't always about, you know, the hits or player protection which I, I'm glad they are instituting in the league now, but even on things like special teams, you had it where it was break up the the blocks. They're holding, like the players would be holding hands on the block to try to make sure they could almost red rover people down. And they were told to break up the blocks and the players on the blocks were told don't get split up. That doesn't happen anymore. Instead, we have holding on like almost every special teams play, but not all of them. Uh, I want to talk for a few moments about the Buffalo Bills because the way that they had things work out for them this season really felt uh, really interesting as far as the regular season is concerned. We'll talk about their postseason chances here in a few moments. But first game of the year, they went out. Josh Allen was throwing a bunch of picks. Aaron Rodgers was hurt. That was going to be the storyline, and it was going to be like Rodgers got hurt. Bills go out and get a win anyway. That's not how it went. Uh, 
they couldn't get in the end zone. Tyler Bass had to keep, keep kicking field goals. And once they had a quick three and out in overtime, Xavier Gibson of the New York Jets had a 65-yard punt return for a touchdown. In overtime, walk off, end of the first game, Bills are 0-1 and look like they have a lot of things to figure out as they just lost to a team that was being quarterbacked by Zach Wilson. That's not good for the record. I think that's something we can all say we've, we know for sure over the course of the whole season. But then we go to this past Sunday night. It's the final game of the year as far as the regular season is concerned. And again, Josh Allen is throwing picks. They're struggling to move the ball correctly against the Dolphins. Even when they're moving the ball, they'll like turn it over in the red zone. They had a chance at the end of the first half to get some points, and they ended up going down in bounds with no timeouts left. It just, things that they needed to do weren't working correctly. And then early in the fourth quarter, they stopped the Dolphins, got the ball when Deontay Hardy got it on a punt return, and he went 96 yards for a punt return touchdown where he just hit the hole and he was gone. Uh, it was one of the best punt return touchdowns I had seen in a while. And I just want to remind all of us that watch the sport day in and day out, you know, no punting may not be the most exciting thing. No kicking field goals is not always the most interesting thing. Kickoffs, onside kicks, all of these things are part of the game because special teams are special. They matter. They're part of the game of football, and they're part of the game that we all know and love. And I think that in reality, a punt return is probably one of, or a kick return for a touchdown, is one of the closest things that you can have to a home run in in baseball. Like this is something where all of a sudden it's like, well, dang, uh, you just ran that back and. Okay, yep, there's points. Uh, like, all of a sudden, it's just a complete change in the mood. Like, on offense, you know that people are trying to score. You know that plays can happen with an electric offense at any time. But special teams, special teams is just different. Uh, Derek, any thoughts or anything you want to add on that? Yeah, so you were, you're exactly right. And on this same road, maybe a little bit off the beaten path, special teams are meant to be boring. Um, okay, so we're at fourth down, you know, fourth down and five. Uh, you know, they're going to punt the ball. Punt. Okay. Uh, it goes into the end zone, touchback. Doot, doot, doot. Okay. We're, you know, goes to commercial, blah, 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 blah. Well, sometimes if you get a little uh, fire in your behind, all of a sudden something weird happens. A fake punt or, you know, that, that, like you were talking about the touchdown, uh, run back of a punt. But even more than that, um, with a punt, if, you know, they punt at 50 yards and you run it back 30 yards, okay, well, you came, you just lost 20 yards altogether from where your defense was. Like, a 20 to 30 yard, especially if you've got a pretty good, uh, punt unit, um, and they're, you know, not trying to pin you really far back. You know, that, that's, that can be, that's doable. 
So it really does when you're trying to flip the field, as they call it, when you're playing field position and all of a sudden they break a a 30 yard uh, back. That's a that's an offensive play. That's a that's a a play on special teams that benefits your offense and they don't have to go out there and grind out those yards. Also, they don't have to use the clock to to grind out those yards. And so special teams aren't exactly that. They are special. And I think we are legislating them out of our football a lot uh, of touchbacks and, uh, you know, the wedge uh, breakers and stuff like that. Uh, like you were talking about with their all holding hands, uh, old school way. But uh, they are – when they are not the boring play, like if, we, if people allow them to be the special the, – the third branch of the offense or the third branch of the team, they can do some special things. Absolutely. Well, let's get to the unfortunate part of sports, Derek, as we are past the regular season, and that means we are to the point where a lot of people are getting fired and losing their jobs. Uh, of course, we did talk before during the season about how the Panthers fired Frank Reich, the Raiders fired Josh McDaniels, and the Chargers fired Brandon Staley. But the news got started, uh, I want to say around midnight on Monday morning here, uh, where Arthur Smith, after going 21 and 30 in three years as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, was fired for missing the playoffs for the third straight season. You got to give him some credit for being consistency, but being consistently seven and 10 is not what you want. Um, that puts you at a high draft pick and just not being effective enough in a division that was there, especially this year for the Falcons. I want to say at one point they were like six and four and to finish seven and 10 is just unacceptable. And so they went ahead and got rid of Arthur Smith. It'll be curious to see where he ends up landing because he does have some ties with the Titans who may need to be filling a coaching staff again. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Derek, what were your thoughts other than, yeah, this, this kind of felt like it was coming. So the, the NFC South has been weak for a few years. And so, Someone needed to step up and take that division. I thought Arthur Smith could do it. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see the, the the Buccaneers winning it three years in a row with a sub double digit wins uh, total. Uh, this year they had what nine wins, uh, and so they win the division that way. The Saints haven't been. Anything, uh, you know, we all know about the Panthers and, uh, you know, having the number one pick last year, number one pick this year. Um, so someone needed to step up. Someone needed to dominate that division. And on paper, Atlanta should tear apart teams. I mean, you got Kyle Pitts, you got Drake London, you got Bijan Robinson. Uh, even Desmond Ritter looked good coming out of Cincinnati. Um, so you got to do something. You get you, and when it came down to it at the end, uh, it's a head coach that has to go because 
paper, they've got some good players. Yeah, and let's go ahead and go to the personnel side on this next one. As the Carolina Panthers fired uh, their general manager, Scott Fitterer, who they had brought in uh, just a few years ago uh, in 2021 to be their general manager. He had been previously with the Seattle Seahawks, where he had been the vice president of football operations, and he had kind of worked his way up. He had been part of the Seattle Seahawks for 20 years, Derek, before he came over to the Panthers in 21. And uh, Tepper had already been there for a while, but this is Tepper's hiring and firing then at this point. But you look at what happened this past offseason where they move up from 9-1 to one to get Bryce Young because they believe he's the guy. And you go from winning seven games last year with mostly an interim head coach. And then you let Federer bring in his guy and Frank Reich, and that also does not work. Yeah, it felt like this was going to happen when you have a two-win team. Speaking of the <laughs> NFC South being not that strong. Uh, so, Panthers, the whole cabinet is clean now. Who, Where will they begin? That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, so for this one, um, we just saw the the door change um, for the the office because uh, they've just now installed a revolving door in the Carolina Panthers uh, that this begins. So every three years, as long as David Tepper, maybe even less, maybe every two years, um, there's going to be a change in GM, a change in head coach. Um, as long as David Tepper's the, the owner of the franchise, um, he's not going to allow anyone to to sit for six years and build a program um, and, and institute their their way of doing things, anything like that. Um, it's just going to be a revolving door with coaches, with GMs, with players, um, and so we've seen it happen today. This is the beginning of it. Uh, next up, we have the Washington Commanders moving on from their head coach in Ron Rivera. Uh, Rivera was there for four seasons, ended up coaching the Commanders to a 26-40-1 record with a playoff loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in 2020. Uh, they did win the division at seven and nine one of those years, but they just were not improving and getting better to go seven and nine, seven and ten, eight, eight and one. Then the team got sold and then they traded away all of their defensive stars and then they went four and 13. Okay. So maybe that's not Ron Rivera's fault. Um, we had talked about this one earlier in the offseason. I don't think it's a Rivera issue. He now has a slightly below 500 record for his career at 102, 103, and 2. It's not Rivera's fault. This is Snyder finally sold the team, and everyone that it was associated with Snyder is going to be gone. So, goodbye, Ron. They're going to find someone else that they want to bring in. Now, who it is, I have no earthly idea, because it's new ownership, but... Riverboat Ron is not there. Uh, Derek, I know your favorite game of him coaching ever uh, was Super Bowl 50. 
Yes. Lost to the so the the the, the Cam <laughs> Newton uh, fumbles the game away. Uh, Von Miller takes it out. Uh, yes, that is my favorite of his. Um, so I, I felt that uh, Ron Rivera was a placeholder for a while. I think that he had a little bit of success, and he kind of talked his way into more seasons. But like you're right, uh, this is. New ownership, we wanted to put our stamp on uh, on the franchise. We're going to need to go in a different direction. Um, they've got some pieces. They've, they've, they've had some upside. Uh, they've, they've got some, some guys that are attractive to head coaching. So I think that uh, this is going to be a, a, a good – I mean, I'm not a big fan of the uh, Redskins, just I mean, um, the Commanders. I'm sorry, I misspoke on that one. The uh, the Commanders, uh, and I haven't been for a for quite a long while. I don't know why, but uh, so yeah, I think this is going to be a, a, an attractive job. But um, Ron Rivera, I don't think has ever really been the coach of the future or the guy who's going to be there for ten plus years. No, no, he wasn't, and. And that's okay. Um, next up on our list of coaches that were fired is a coach that has an overall winning record with his team, and that is Mike Vrabel, who was the coach of the Titans for six seasons and coached them to a 54-45 and 45 record. Wasn't getting it done in the postseason in 2019, 20, or 21, as they were knocking on the door several times. Uh, of course, in 21, they got upset by the Cincinnati Bengals, who then went on to the Super Bowl, and they lost one to the Chiefs in 2019 when they were on their way to the Super Bowl. So they they got close. They lost to some of the better teams at times, but seven and ten and six and eleven. Plus, you have a new GM that came in from San Francisco, and it was a this isn't matching anymore. And if nothing else, it felt like it was a, we don't really know if we want Levis to be the guy. We we need to be able to move on from Tannehill and Henry and some of these people that are associated with Vrabel. And so we need to just start from square one. You know, Vrabel didn't get the, the win. He didn't get to a Super Bowl when he had his guys. And now... He doesn't have his guys because he's he's not even the coach anymore. Uh, any thoughts here about Vrabel? Uh, Vrabel's will have a job before this episode comes out. Um, if he doesn't, they are waiting on Bill Belichick to uh, to quit or be fired uh, for that conversation to take place. Because uh, yeah, I, I think that is just going to one of two things is going to happen. Either Bill Belichick gets fired or Ryan Day. Because um, he's going to go to one of those two places, um, and uh, I mean, Rabel is—he's—he's he's a good coach. I don't know if uh, if it's bad coaching or if there are just things that happened, like you lose your your guy, your quarterback. Okay, well we got Will Levis. Okay, well he does good enough. Oh, he gets hurt. Okay, well we got the going back and forth. Um, 
I don't know if you're going to keep Derrick Henry uh, this uh, this year. He might go somewhere else. He's going to be a free agent without Vrabel there. Um, you know, I, I don't know. You might lose your your centerpiece to your offense. So we shall see. Uh, like I, I think Vrabel's is is going to land on his feet uh, very quickly. I will say that if someone wants to put the dynamic duo back together. You can make Vrabel the head coach and Arthur Smith the coordinator because they are both looking for jobs. So I was going to say, uh, the, maybe Arthur Smith takes the Tennessee job. He did a pretty good job there when he was OC. I mean, it depends on the relationships he has there, but uh, we'll have to see how everything goes down. Uh, Derek, let's go take one last time at our over-under results uh, as we had picked these before the season when we did our season predictions. Uh, the Eagles went under 11.5 because they could not beat the New York football Giants. We both got that wrong. The Bills won five in a row to go over 10.5 total wins. We both got the Bills over 10.5 correct. Um, the Jaguars completely messed up the end of their season with Lawrence injuries and not playing well, and they went under nine and a half wins. We both thought that they were going to take that division probably by a lot. Kudos to the Texans for rising up and taking it, but the Jaguars did go under nine and a half. We both got that wrong. One that we had a split decision on, Derek, uh, I think that we probably could have called this one a coin flip when we were looking at it before the season. The Seahawks brought Geno back. They were trying to do the same train as they did before. They went over eight and a half, missed the playoffs. I got that one right. You had them under. It was super close. Uh, we're talking two-point conversion away from me saying, Derek, you were right. They went under <laughs> and just having a different outcome. Alas, I do have to bring up the fact that the Broncos did finish under eight and a half wins. Um, maybe play your best quarterback, Sean Payton. Uh, we both got that wrong because we had them over eight and a half. And uh some that we did get right. The Bears went under seven and a half. The Packers beat them. They went under. This one felt so good to me. And then the Cardinals went under four and a half. This was the lowest one all year. This was the one that we were waiting to kind of see <laughs> for the longest time because it was like, Cardinals are kind of sneaky good. And uh they pushed it as close to the, that as they could. They had four, but we were both right. They went under four and a half. Derek, any comments on any of those? before we get to our week 18 Brody bets from last week. Yeah. So I just want, uh, so before we get to Brody bets, I want to give you a handshake and a high five on a Brody bet across the over under results because you had 17, right? I had 14, right? So if you were to go to Vegas today and would have bet on the for the season, you would have made money. So you probably would have, I mean, I don't know exactly how much money because I, you know, I haven't uh, judged it by, by that much, but you would have, you would have taken home some money. You could have taken your wife out to a nice dinner or something like that. Um, who knows? But uh, I did not. So I, I give you your kudos and I give you your high five and your handshake for the over under contest. Well, we have a lot of high fives and handshakes this week, Derek, because uh, when we were putting our Brody bets together, I felt like we had a, a solid, solid week this week. 
That is correct. So uh, I want to skip over the first game and come back to to that one in a second. So on our NFL picks, uh, I missed out on my Broncos. I had Broncos uh, plus two and a half. They lost to the Raiders by 13. So, uh, oh, well. Uh, my favorite was Tampa Bay plus, uh, I'm sorry, minus five and a half over Carolina. Some uh, scary moments there as uh, it was a if, – if even if the, the, the Panthers would have would, – if they would have got a touchdown, they, they were knocking they – were, they, were, they were close. Uh, that the Tampa Bay was not going to win. Uh, I call the AFC South for Houston at uh, Houston plus one and a half. They beat the Colts straight up. Uh, and my wild card was the Rams beating the uh, 49ers. The Rams win by one over the Niners uh, in a game that uh, Puka Nakua took home the – is it the receiving yards mark for a rookie? I think it was both receptions and receiving yards marks for rookies. Okay. Uh, and so going over to Caleb, we're skipping his first one because we'll come back to it. And his Packers pick was minus, uh, minus three versus the Bears. The, they beat the Bears by eight. The Saints, uh, over the Falcons. Saints 48, Falcons 17 in a game that should not have been 48. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I think Dennis Allen should be fired today. Uh, and his underdog, I think, the uh, Arizona Cardinals plus two and a half over the Seahawks got that one. And then he, his miss this week was the Dolphins and Bills over 50 and a half. They only got up to 35. Now, the one that I, that I missed, uh, the, the one that I skipped earlier was, our Michigan game. So every week, one of the two of us would always take the Michigan game and because they were undefeated and they, as you can see, they are undefeated throughout the entire, uh, entire year. So, uh, I had my Broncos pick miss. He had his wild card pick miss. And so whoever was going to win the national championship game was going to be the person who won the week. And, uh, Caleb had Michigan minus four and a half. Uh, Michigan did win pretty handily 34-13. And I had the game over 55 and a half. So we technically both could have won if there was a, a little bit more high scoring game. But the game only got to 47 points. So our winner this week is Caleb with his four and one record. But I will definitely take my uh, my three and two record, uh, any, time that I can have a winning week, I am, uh, I'm pretty happy about it. That Michigan game, when it came to the national championship, it might look like it was, uh, kind of a blowout game, but I went to, uh, I didn't get to watch the fourth quarter, but that one, uh, that one looked a lot closer in the third quarter than the final score, uh, did show. And that's how it goes a lot of times in those games, but. Congrats again to the Michigan Wolverines for winning the national championship. You earned it. Uh, but let's let's go back to the NFL, Derek. It is time to start Super Wild Card Weekend as we go ahead and dive into a little bit from each of this weekend's games. Uh, the first one that's going to be coming up on Saturday afternoon is a match between the visiting Cleveland Browns, who are a two-and-a-half-point favorite, going to the AFC South champion, Houston Texans. 
the over under on this game is 43 and a half. I might ask you any ways that you lean on that here in a few moments. But when you're thinking of Browns Texans, uh, what, what kind of things are crossing your mind here? Yeah. So this is, uh, supposedly the number one defense in the league versus the Cinderella story of the year. First year head coach, first year, uh, quarterback. You know, the, who got the better of the quarterbacks at the, at the top of the draft. Um, for me, this is coming down to, can you protect CJ Stroud versus the pass rush? And can CJ Stroud figure out the pass defense to get the ball to where it needs to go? So I think this is, uh, rookie, Quarterback understanding versus defense. I think that that does play a big factor in this. I do think it's somewhat interesting that they played each other back on Christmas Eve, but Stroud was out that game with a concussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Browns won the initial matchup 36-22. to 22. Um, Speaking of C.J. Stroud, I think that we could probably both sit here and say, uh, Pukunakua, I'm proud for you. You broke the receptions and receiving yards records for rookies. Uh, I will let you finish, but CJ Stroud probably is going to win rookie of the year <laughs> and, uh, getting the Texans to the playoffs, something that I don't think either of us were remotely seeing before the season. And I just think it's interesting that we have this narrative. CJ Stroud, young kid coming in, leading the Texans to the playoffs and who is the Browns current Leader at quarterback, Joe Flacco. You know, not even on an NFL roster when the season was beginning, not remotely someone's interest. You know, CJ Stroud, second overall pick in the draft, highly sought after player. Joe Flacco signed in like November. <laughs> Older, like some of the people in his draft class are analysts in studios. Uh, I'm thinking of you, Matt Ryan, and all of a sudden it's it's Flacco time, elite Flacco time once again, as apparently Flacco only knows how to quarterback effectively if he is a quarterback for a team in the AFC North. So I don't know what it is, Derek, uh, something in that AFC North water stream, but we got Flacco versus Stroud, the old Wiley vet versus the young upstart. And I think that that matchup just intrigues me so much. Uh, what else are you thinking about with this one? Yeah, so for this one, I, I, okay, so let's go back over uh, a lot of teams that said, oh, man, we lost our quarterback, and, man, we're a quarterback away from – um, you know, winning a championship. I'm looking at you, uh, New York, New Jersey based teams. Joe Flacco was sitting on the couch. Uh, you have his phone number, by the way. Uh, and so this could be you if, uh, you didn't, uh, I don't know. Maybe Kevin Stefanski just makes quarterbacks better. Um, I, I will tell you this. Uh, this is going to be a great coaching matchup because D'Amico Ryans really does know the X's and O's of, uh, of what's going on. And, you know, when you have that veteran guy who is a secondary coach on the field, who knows everything, has seen everything, um, 
you're going to you 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 have that extra brain that's there. Um, elite Joe Flacco, um, former Bronco, <laughs> who was never elite when he was in Denver, but uh, knows what he's doing this year. Um, you know the the underrated part of the Cleveland uh, Browns that doesn't really get talked out talked about enough is their offensive line. They've had some really great offensive line. Joe Thomas comes to mind uh, when it comes to guys who were there for a long time. He was there for ten years, first ballot Hall of Famer, um, and the the line for the the Browns is has always been good. I mean, it has been good the last few years, should I say? And so, I think they're going to be able to run the ball, which is going to be uh, tough on the Texans. I will say that this does have the benefit of being in a good stadium. I think that if you were taking the Texans to Cleveland, you could argue that's how people think it should be because the Browns had a Uh better record than the Texans. But I do think that this gives the Texans more of a chance. I think that probably similarly to their first game, I'm leaning towards the over on this contest. I think the Texans are going to score points. I think Flacco is going to do enough to score points. And I think that it's going to be just a really intense, possibly high-scoring affair, which potentially also favors the Texans. Um, I also eh, – give, give me some thoughts on the coaching breakdown. Do you think Stefanski or D'Amico Ryans is a better head coach? I'm just curious. Oh. Yeah, so at this point, I think Stefanski is uh, the better coach on the field this coming weekend. But I think we will see in the future that D'Amico Ryans is the better coach out of these two guys in the next few years. Um, so D'Amico has had some he, – he had some, some – mentors in San Francisco. And we've seen what guys who went through the Kyle Shanahan system, uh, who's been on that, that staff, we've seen what they've done. You know, we've got Robert Sala up there with the, uh, with the Jets. You've got McDaniels, um, D'Amico Ryan's now. Um, they, they know what they're doing when they're putting together a team. And I think that the week to week stuff, the how are you preparing your team is the biggest part of coaching versus the, uh, you know, X, Y, waggle, waggle, zebra nine that you're calling plays on, uh, during the game. I think it's preparing your guys. And so for me, I think I'll go with experience at this point. But uh, I think D'Amico Ryan's is a really good coach, and he's going to be a really good coach in the future. Well, let's go ahead and take a second here, because I want to talk about uh, outside of the quarterbacks and the coaches, if there is a specific X factor that's coming to mind on either team, where if you were to look at the box score, you would say, this guy had a good game, and so I think that that means that that team's probably going to do better. Uh, I'm, do you mind if I take a stab at one first? Please that's do. That's coming to mind. Um, I think if you look and see that Devin Singletary has had a big ground game for the Houston Texans, that the Texans are going to win. I think that C.J. Stroud is going to go out there 
We know he's going to make passes. We know that Nico Collins is going to get involved. You know, he's got a lot of different talent. But I think if they're able to run the ball behind, like, Shaq Mason, Juice Scruggs, Laramie Tunsil, and they're just pushing the ball down the field on the ground and they're taking it where Stroud has to do less, that that's going to just make the Browns' defense not as strong because the Derry Smith and Miles Garrett are great pass rushers. And if they're not able to go after the quarterback like they think, that's going to be bad for them. Uh, anyone on the Texans stand out to you or anyone on the Browns? Yeah, so I would say that if you hear a lot of guys' names in the in the secondary, so let's use Stingley as an example. Derek Stingley Jr. has a great first name. Um, that uh, if you hear a lot of those those guys' names, you're probably not going to uh, not probably not have a good day on the Browns. And uh, so. Because, okay, well, you know, okay, this guy caught it, and, okay, tackle made by this guy. Like, if if you hear those guys' names just uh, pop up, you're probably not, you're probably talking about interceptions. You're probably talking about force fumbles. You're probably talking about uh, pass breakups downfield. So I would say that if you are, uh, if you're hearing a lot of those guys' names, then, because uh, like uh, there's Blake Cashman, like that's a uh, a linebacker. He's uh you know if you're if you're talking about if you're hearing his name, they're the defense is probably stepping up, and you don't want to hear a whole bunch about the defense because that means the offense isn't doing very well. I mean, I think you kind of went where I was thinking as far as Cleveland is concerned. I would probably say Amari Cooper's an X-factor. Flacco likes to throw the ball deep. Cooper is the best receiver on this team. Like, could Tillman or Elijah Moore or David Bell or some of these young guys be the difference maker? They they could. But I think if we know Amari Cooper's having a good game, the Texans are not having a good game, similar to the inverse that you were saying there. Uh, but let's exactly. go to... Let's uh let's start our stuff because uh the Saturday night game of the week is a Peacock exclusive as it is the Miami Dolphins going to frigid Arrowhead Stadium where they are taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are a three and a half point favorite. The over under on this game is forty two and a half. And for those of you who are curious, this is the return of the Cheetah to Arrowhead Stadium as Tyreek Hill is going back to Arrowhead for the first time because when they played during the regular season, it was in Germany, not Arrowhead. Uh, Derek, I know you're an Oklahoma State guy. Do you want to do you want to talk about Tyreek for a few moments? Yeah. So uh, the the Dolphins are injury ridden. With it, they, everybody is hurt. Everyone's banged up. And you're going to get to this time of year with those, uh, those aches and pains. It's your, you know, how well are you able to work through them? Um, right now you've got Hill, you've got Waddle, uh, both of your, your big name wide receivers are questionable. Now I'm sure they're going to play, but if you, um, if you don't have to scheme, 
for to slow down Tyreek Hill if he doesn't have a step um, on the next guy, you know that means that he's only two steps ahead of his uh, of the guy that's trailing him, and because he always seems like he's three steps ahead of of everybody, you might be able able to to cover him. Um, so I think Tyreek is going to. Uh, I mean, he's been, he's been gone long enough now that they don't really have the uh, face-to-face, we know how to cover you, With now it's going to be back on that film study of what is he doing now, how does he release, you know, how do they get over top of, of guys, how do we scheme them, uh, you know, do we bracket coverage, stuff like that. Um, at this point... I mean, this, this, you know, if he, if he's if he is healthy, his speed is going to take over this game. It really is. Well, Derek, I have to talk about this game, and one thing that I just have to at least bring up is the polar vortex, because <laughs> they were talking about it a little bit during the Miami game the other night. But I was just double checking. I've got the uh, weather forecast for Gehoff. I don't know how to say. It. G-E-H-A field at Arrowhead Stadium. Just call it Arrowhead. And uh, I've got it pulled up here from AccuWeather for this coming Saturday night. It says low negative four with a real feel from the wind chill of negative 14. Wind gusts up to 23 miles an hour. It says, mostly cloudy and bitterly cold, dress warm, potentially the coldest home playoff game in Kansas City history. I find this to be fascinating because when you think of both of these teams, you think of people like Tyreek Hill, like you said, his speed, being able to go out, beat people, and catch a ball deep. Well, a cold ball might be harder to catch. Uh, you think of Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball around the field to Kelsey and the rest. And in reality, this game could come down to like Isaiah Pacheco and Raheem Mostert and Devin Achan and like these running games that are not typically the focus of these teams. Derek, if it's coming down to a running battle, who do you who do you like better? Um, um so I would go it it would be the health versus the better running team. So the Dolphins are the better running team and I think that they they have the ability to to impose their will on some people when it comes to running the ball and running out, run, uh, throwing off the play action uh, and making plays off of that. But the Chiefs are at home, and they're going to have the healthier offensive line, and they're going to have the uh, – I mean, they, they play in, in Kansas City all the time. So they, they're at least more acclimated to the weather and uh, to be able to handle that. Um, you know, if you have a cold ball, it's probably going to be pretty hard. And so the Kansas City wide receivers may drop even more passes um, mm-hmm. because of a, of a hard ball. And I'm not sure if that's possible to drop any more balls, but uh, they 
They might. So for me, I'm going to give it a slight edge to the Chiefs because they have a more uh, a healthier offensive line. Um, I do think it's interesting you brought up the injuries. The Dolphins also are bringing in a lot of known players to potentially either rush the passer or be there and run defense on the edge. Uh, just uh, a bit of a, a crazy year where, you know, they went out there, they added Justin Houston, a.k.a. former Kansas City Chief Justin Houston, and they signed Bruce Irvin to their roster to to go out there and see what they can do this season in the postseason. I'm very intrigued by that because I think that in general they're going to play a factor, kind of like Melvin Ingram trying to be in coverage on uh, – was it Khalil Shakir or no Dalton Kincaid? Uh, Kincaid was trying to be covered by Melvin Ingram during the Sunday night game. And it was like, that's not a good spot for Melvin Ingram, but that's what happens when people are hurt. It'll, it'll be interesting because you know that these signings are going to happen and be an impact on this game. I, uh, I agree. I mean, it, there's a, there's a question about, well, if they're, if they're worth their money, why are they sitting at home? You know, why why are they there at the end of the season? But uh, you know, maybe uh you know, maybe they uh are gonna come in in short bursts. Maybe they're just rotating guys. I have no idea for sure, but I know that it's going to be interesting to see what all exactly happens. Uh, Derek, I did mention it earlier. The spread on this one is three and a half. When you were looking at this one, do you have a side that you lean on? Where would you go? Is, are you thinking that the Chiefs will cover or, or do you want the Dolphins to keep them close? Oh yeah. I'm thinking the Chiefs all the, uh, all day. I'm not, once you get in the playoffs, everyone's zero, zero. Um, you were 11 win. You're now zero win, zero losses. Um, and you can't take a one loss. Uh, the Chiefs have done it. Uh, I'm going to take the guys who've been there before, the guys who can probably turn it on. They can probably, okay, playoff mode. And so I'm taking the Chiefs to cover the three and a half. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the opposite side on this one. I'm going to take the Dolphins plus the three and a half. If for no other reason, then I really do think that this is going to be a matchup where it's going to be low scoring. I think that the weather is going to slow things down. I think that we might see some sort of a turnover make a big play in this game. Um, but I think Pacheco is going to have a big day. I think it's going to be a big ground game. And I definitely am going under the 42.5 that this one is. But I think that the Dolphins will keep it close. And whether it's a Butker field goal or some sort of a maybe Jason Sanders miss, I think that I think the Dolphins keep it close. I do think the Chiefs end up getting the W, just not the cover. Okay, yeah. That's, uh, that last second field goal, I could, uh, I could definitely see it being a three-point game and uh, – and and the Dolphins covering the number but losing the game. Well, let's go to the, the noon game here on Sunday as we start the biggest spread of the weekend as Mason Rudolph 
has got his sleigh of Steelers, and they are going up to the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills are a 10-point favorite. Like I said, that is the biggest spread, and it is the lowest point total of Super Wild Card Weekend, as the over-under is all the way down at 37.5. Derek, what are your initial thoughts when you think of this final AFC matchup here between the Steelers and the Bills? So first and foremost, I'm going with the impact player that uh, he's not going to be playing in this game, and that's going to be T.J. Watt. Um, he's been ruled out uh, over the last day or so, and uh, that is a huge piece. Um, his uh, win versus replacement, uh, basically you know, the the war. If you if you uh, are the numbers nerd. Um, he doesn't come close. The the guys that are uh, would be in his position are just not going to be the same guys that uh, a TJ Watt is. So without him there, you don't have to worry so much about the. Um, I mean, you still have to worry about the the blitz, and you still have to worry about um, sacks and stuff like that. But um. You don't have to worry. You, they have to blitz you to probably get to get to you, um, and that means open receivers, uh, time that you would uh, would have to get the ball out, stuff like that. And so, the Steelers are going to be in kind of a blitzing versus dropping uh, conundrum, and that could be in the favor of uh, Josh Allen and the Bills. I think that, that makes a ton of sense for you to say. I think it's going to be a interesting matchup. And I do think whenever you don't have someone who you could make the case that they should be the defensive player of the year, it's not a good sign. It's definitely not a good sign. Um, I do think it's also interesting. We're going into this game where we have uh, two interim offensive coordinators. Uh, the Steelers, of course, fired Matt Canada partway through the year. Uh, the Bills went and moved on from, um, I can't even remember his name right now, Ken Dorsey. They moved on from Ken Dorsey and brought in Joe Brady. Uh, and it's just going to be interesting to see how those play calls work. These are young, uh, less experienced play callers on the offensive side of the ball with a very defensive-minded Steelers team. And, of course, the Bills – the they actually were keeping teams pretty low scoring during their run over the last few games. Uh, they held the Cowboys to 10 when the Cowboys had been scoring a lot. They kept the Dolphins to 14 despite having some injuries in the secondary. Uh, Jordan Poyer left the game. Russell Douglas left the game. They still only gave up 10 to a team that has, of course, Tyreek Hill, as we were mentioning before. Um as far as the players that are going to be there this week, is there someone who you look at and you go, ooh, I think that that guy is probably going to stand out and have a big game this week? Yeah, so I think this is the, in order for the Steelers to win, they're going to have to have as few as possessions as possible. Um, you are not, you do not want to go up and down the field with the Bills. You don't want to have to put any more 
uh, pressure on your offense than you have to. So I'm going to say that Najee Harris is going to have a uh, game. He's going to be the guy that you're going to be looking at. Um, and then, you know, just to toss in Oklahoma State people, Jalen Warren, who is their chunk guy um, and uh, change of pace guy, um, you know, I, I, I love having an Oklahoma State backfield with Mason Rudolph as the quarterback and Jalen Warren as the running back. Uh, it, it works, uh, really well, uh, and has worked over the last few games with, you know, a, uh, an interim offensive coordinator. I think they're going to run the ball a lot in, uh, in Pittsburgh or in, in for the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, when they're running in, uh, in this Buffalo game, they're gonna want to, you know, short passes. Uh, actually, they're gonna wanna, wanna run the Matt Canada offense. The screenplays, the short passes, the, uh, wide receiver bubble stuff, um, to try to take as much time off the clock as possible and try to keep the game within a score. And, uh, you know, then see what you can do at the end of the game. That's kind of what I think the, the plan is for the Steelers. I think that that's a good plan. And I do think that one thing that also will be working in their favor for this one is they have a lot of experience in their secondary. Um, and if they're not, they're just very talented players. You have a former first round pick that they had gotten from Miami in the past and Mink Fitzpatrick. You have a former first round pick that was a corner that moved to safety in Patrick Peterson. You have a high second round pick that they used this past year on Joey Porter Jr. Porter Jr. is going to probably be matched up with Stefan Diggs and what is a matchup that is going to be a big one. And one thing that I think potentially helps all of your case on this, Derek, I, I'm double checking the weather over there. It is, it is not nice at Highmark Stadium this week either, uh, which is going to make it very happy for me. It's estimating that it's going to be around 24 degrees, and it says windy with snow. Winds 28 miles an hour with gusts up to 45. And so that puts the real feel down to negative two, and it's saying an 80% chance of snow possibly getting a few inches of snow during the game. Can the Bills go out there with Osiris Torrance and James Cook and probably Leonard Fournette and say, hey, we're going to run the ball today against a team that usually likes to run the ball? It's not not the Bills' M.O. typically. Uh, what do you think about that one, Derek? So my my question about this is how conservative the Bills are going to be with Josh Allen. And what I mean by that is this this defense is opportunistic. This this defense for the Steelers is going to go there and try to find an edge, try to find the little bit that's going to uh, to win them the game. You know, a pick six is going to be huge for, for a game like this. Well, Josh Allen has a tendency to kind of go out there and be a gunslinger. Now, eight out of ten times, he is going to be the winner of that, and he's going to do some great things being a gunslinger. The other two times, he is going to be 
uh, a turnover. And they can't have that in this game. So for me, it is going to be can Josh Allen uh, go out here and play within the scheme, play within the uh, the plays that are called, and dink and dunk his way down the field. It'll be interesting. I I think that I think that he can, and I, it's one of those things where the more we're talking about it, the more I'm having a harder time convincing myself of it. I just am going to go with more of what I've seen over the course of the year. I'm going to say the Bills do cover the 10. I'm going to say it is under 37 and a half. I think it's a low scoring, maybe a 20 to 10 game where the Bills are able to go out there and just get enough done. They're more efficient. They convert more third downs. And uh, the Steelers probably got a field goal on a turnover and they were able to get a touchdown with Deontay Johnson or George Pickens, but I just don't think that it is a, or maybe Harris or Warren, like you said, I would, they could grind it all the way down the field too. Someone gets in the end zone for the Steelers, but I'm going with the Bills. Well, I guess I, the way I was doing it would be a, a push. I'll say 21 10 Bills, uh, where it is under the 37 and a half. I, uh, I, I agree with you in part, agree with you, disagree with you on the other part. Under 37 and a half, easy, uh, easy money there, but I have the Steelers covering the 10. That's a big number in the playoffs, and I don't care who you're playing and how much better you are than the other team. Um, I think this is going to be a seven point game, probably in the 21-14 range, and, uh, I think the Bills win, but I think the Steelers cover. Well, Derek, before we jump to the next game, I would like for you to introduce it so that you actually get more words in, because I'm pretty sure that if I jump in first, I may just talk for the entire time. Yeah, so there's a team that has kind of played the Cowboys this week. They're headed down to Jerry World. Um, uh, Caleb might know this team as he is the owner of the team. This is the Packers at the Cowboys. Uh, this game is the Cowboys are favored by seven and a half. And the over under for this game is 49 and a half. Um, so for me, I'm looking at this game as my highlight of the weekend. The game that I have to watch, uh, because this game could go either way and it could go, it could be a complete blowout because I don't believe in the uh, anything with the the Cowboys, they could have 60 points or they could have 12 points. We don't know. I mean, the, normally they're looking good, and I will I will give them. They have looked better and more consistent uh, recently. This last year, uh, I still don't trust them. And so, um, for me, when it comes down to who is the uh, the player, the impact player, the guy that has to do the thing, um, that's going to be CeeDee Lamb. Is he going to be able to, uh, to continue on his streak of getting open, being that big impact guy? And 
yards after catch. Can is he going to be? I catch the ball, I go down, or is he going to be able to stretch a 12-yard play into a 20-yard play, which gets them on the other side of the 50, uh, which gets them into field goal range, which gets them into, you know, in, you know stretching a, a catch into a catch and run. Um, is the, the Packers going to be able to keep him from a what, 97-yard touchdown run uh, when Dak Prescott should have been sacked. That's what it's going to come down to. For me, I love uh, I love the receivers here. Uh, I, I love – I mean, Dak is great. You know, someone has to get the ball to them. But we give a lot of praise to quarterbacks. And from a guy who has watched CeeDee Lamb his entire football career, because uh, he was at at uh, a, a, a Oklahoma school, um, I would say that. Uh, and then he went to Dallas Cowboys. We get a lot of Dallas Cowboy games here. Uh, I, I think Lamb is a big, big part of this. Where are you at, Caleb? So I do think that this is, in general, the appointment viewing of the weekend. Um, while Steelers and Bills is probably also two big brands as far as the national level is concerned. That's the Lake Erie Bowl, for lack of a better term. Like we have Pittsburgh, we have Buffalo. They're all very close together, whereas Packers and Cowboys are two teams that people either love or love to hate, and so it'll just bring a lot of eyes on the TV. Uh, Aaron Rodgers did a fantastic job against the Cowboys in his career, and it's going to be interesting to see if Jordan Love can do the same. I do think CeeDee Lamb is a huge impact player in this one because, you know, there's just not a lot of people that can do what CeeDee Lamb does. Uh, Carrington Valentine is probably not the type of guy that you want to be able to go out there to shut CeeDee Lamb down, but that's kind of what the Packers have. Um, I, I actually was arguing with people on Cowboys Twitter that – uh, CD Lamb is the MVP of the Cowboys offense this year. They, they argued Dak was. I was like, I, I disagree. I think CD is far and away the best player on that team, but, uh, you do you. You can be Dak homers. Um, I'm not saying Dak's bad, but CD is amazing. So it's, it's going to be an interesting contest. And I think where I come into this as a Packers fan is if I look at the teams on paper, the Cowboys should win the game. If I look at the teams, I do think it's probably potentially a higher scoring game. The Packers defense doesn't do a great job of stopping that many people. They usually give up more on the ground. Tony Pollard is not someone that the Cowboys are going to feed, though. But I do think CeeDee Lamb, Jake Ferguson, they're going to get enough plays with their offense that they're going to score. I do think the Packers can score as well. Um Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love, they've been looking good over the last few weeks with their play calls. And while Dane Quinn and his defense are are good, the Packers have no business being here, Derek. We would have said, I think I said before the season, give me the Packers around a 500 record and fighting for a chance at a playoff spot. That's what we got. Everything that I've seen this year is exactly what I wanted to see from the team. Anything else that happens with the Packers is all gravy. This is the house money situation where you say, we've got a team full of young guys that doesn't know any better, 
that doesn't know that they're not supposed to go into Dallas and win the game. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. Like, don't don't tell Dontavian Wicks and Jaron Reed and all these guys that they shouldn't have a chance. You know, maybe Aaron Jones can wave bye-bye to a Dallas defender on a run into the end zone again. But I think that this is going to be a thrilling matchup with a lot of excellent football to be seen on the field. And uh, what else do you want to talk about on this game, Derek? Because I feel like I could continue to rant. Yeah, so I want to say that the game is played on the field and not in a uh not with the paychecks. Uh so everyone talks about the uh Green Bay Packers having some young cheap receivers at this point. Um and doing a pretty good job. Uh oh, you know, in the overall grand scheme of things, but receiver versus receiver um down the depth chart. Um, you know, taking CeeDee Lamb, we've already talked about him. Um, Brendan Cooks, probably, uh, taking him. I like, uh, Turpin. I like Michael Gallup, uh, for the, for the Cowboys. Uh, Christian Watson for the Packers. Good guy. Romeo, uh, Dobbs. Good receiver. Bo Melton has his plays, uh, Jaden Reed. But if you're just going receiver core versus receiver core, I got the Cowboys going in on this one. And uh, I think the quarterbacks change that a little bit when it comes to Jordan Love. I'm going to go back. We're going to, I'm going to say it now. The pick was worth it. You know, you, you're moving on from AR and you got your guy, a few bumps down the road, but I think he's going to get you right back to winning the division over and over again. So I want, I'm going to, we don't have to worry about weather, Jerry world, everything's uh, indoors. Uh, so receivers shouldn't have an issue. Um, receiver core versus receiver core. I got the Cowboys. But I think the heart behind the quarterback is going toward uh, love. Heart I mean, of the quarterback, yeah, is uh, love. All, all you need is love. That's for sure. That's that's what the Packers are looking forward to in this game. Um, I know that this is probably going to sound like a homer pick. I'm going to take the Packers plus the seven and a half. I think the spread's just a little bit too big. Um, but also if you had it at six and a half, I might take the Cowboys. I think it might be a touchdown game, but I'm going to take the Packers plus the seven and a half to cover. And I'm also going to say it's over the 49 and a half. I think that this is going to be a bit of a shootout similar to like that Cowboys Seahawks game that happened, Mm -hmm. uh, on Thursday night football earlier this year, where I just think teams are going to score and it'll be interesting because I do like Big Mike. I kind of want to see him do well, but I don't want to see him do well against my Packers. So uh, I'm I'm just excited for everything that we can have with this one. And like I said, I do not expect the Packers to win. So make sure that that is on the recording because while I want to win, this is a upset if it happens. Yeah, so I've got the Cowboys in the over – um, the Cowboys have looked really good this year. I'm going to give them, this is their year. How about them Cowboys? I'm going to give them first round. Um, just because, uh, broke clock is right twice a day. 
are we uh, are we going to move on to the Rams at the Lions, the Golf Stafford Bowl? Yes, it is time for the Matthew Stafford reunion special as the Los Angeles Rams travel up north to Ford Field to take on the Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell and his kneecap biters. Uh, it is going to be interesting. I feel like there's probably no two coaches that I feel like have stylistically two different ways that they want to play than Sean McVay and like what I would call typically a finesse style offense and Dan Campbell's let's just beat the heck up out of everyone <laughs> team. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all goes down in this one. The Lions are a three point favorite. The over-under on this one is the highest of the week at 51.5. Yes, Goff's playing his old team. Stafford is playing his old team. We could talk about the quarterbacks a lot. We've talked about quarterbacks in all of the matchups a lot. Uh, do you want to talk about the quarterbacks a lot, or do you want to go a different direction to start this one off, Derek? Okay, so I, I don't want to upset anybody out there in listening land, but uh, they're wash. They're, they, they are the same person. They got traded for each other. Um, they just happen to be in a place that's better for them with better coaches that are for them. So they're the same guy. Let's talk, let's about, let's talk about the team, the rest of the, the players. All right. Let's talk about the rest of the players. Uh, Derek, which skill position players do you like better? Are you going with the David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Jamison Williams of the Lions? Or are you going with like a Kyron Williams, Pukunakua, and Cooper Cup from the Rams? And uh, that is knowing that Sam Laporta could be out this game uh, has potentially a huge swing to the Lions if he were healthy. Correct, and that's uh, because I don't know if Sam Laporta is healthy. I'm going to go with the pass catchers for the Rams. So we saw um, some really good offensive plays uh, from Sean McVay's brain. He's a very smart man. He has finally settled down and, um, you know, has a wife, has a child. He's not the wild and crazy uh, bachelor of his last Super Bowl run when he lost to the Patriots. Um, this time he's got some guys that can really – once again, I, I talked about the Packers and having cheap players – they're kind of in the same boat with the Rams. You've got Kyron Williams. You've got Puka Nakua that are both um, later round picks. Cooper Cup. Uh, did he win the Triple Crown a couple of years back? He did, he did and won the yeah. Offensive Player of the Year that year. Yeah. So, you know, Triple Crown winner and Cooper Cup. Um, you know, I'm going to take the the guys that I know have been there before and I know a little bit more about um, this is a great Lions team, and I think the following few years is going to be a really great Lions team. Um, but for me, I, I'm picking the receiving core of the Rams. Well, Derek, I don't think we've done this enough today, so I'm going to to pause because if there's any game that I think that this matters the most in, it is this one. I want to pause and let you talk about the big boys, the big guys that are on these rosters. 
whether it's Frank Ragnow, whether it is Taylor Decker. We also have a lot of love on the defensive side of the ball because we're talking about Aaron Donald and Aiden Hutchinson. So uh, where where do you want to go? But I want to let you talk about big guys for a few minutes. <sighs> You're so good to me. Uh, so let's talk about the the big guys when it comes to the Detroit Lions, because that's going to be the bigger piece, I think. So um, we can talk about Taylor Decker. Um, oh, by the way, um, I am I am telling the ref right now that I am eligible. I am rubbing the front of my shirt. I there's not crumbs on my shirt right now. I am I am I am eligible. Please, someone tell me that I'm eligible. Someone announce it. Uh, yeah, so Taylor Decker, left tackle. Pinay Sewell is in those uh, positions as well. Um, Frank Ragnow, as you brought up before. At center, uh, Graham Glasgow, who great uh, great guard play as well. I just said Pinay Sewell, left tackle. I meant right tackle. I I can – anyways, uh, Taylor Decker, left tackle, Pinay Sewell, right tackle – um, you're going to be able to run the ball. Uh, that's what you're going to try to do. You're going to use that uh, Jameer Gibbs, uh, David Montgomery, two-headed monster to to try to get because that's what you want to do. You you in football you want to, f- to figure out a way to impose your will against the other team. Now, that being said, the greatest football player to maybe have ever lived is on the other side of that. Aaron Donald is sitting there uh and just going to chew you up. He's he is coming for you, your children and your grandchildren um and uh he wants to give them defensive hugs. Uh as many as he possibly can uh and he does a very good job of it. So these uh organized chaos that is the offensive line is going to have their handful but uh and if there's ever a time for a defensive tackle defensive end whatever you want to call uh those guys uh to come out it's the playoffs and that's what that's what those guys do a couple of really good plays changes the entire game a sack or two is going to put uh, Detroit behind the sticks, and they don't want to be there. So uh, organized chaos that is the uh, the line play is going to be beautiful. It is. Ah. It really is. And uh, I know I kind of went there earlier, but I have to at least talk about it a little bit with this game also specifically. Uh, both of these teams are dealing with kickers that they either – didn't have at the start of the year or had cut at some point during the year and then ended up coming back because it just has not been uh, the right, the right years for them. Um, Brett Maher, who missed a ton in the playoffs for the Cowboys a couple of years ago uh, is the Rams kicker. So I'm sure he's hoping to get a little bit of new life in this game but he missed an extra point this past week. He's only made 74% of his field goals this year. It has not been a good, solid year for him. Meanwhile, the kicker for the Lions is Michael Badgley, who had been a free agent for a lot of the year. They went, they picked him up. He has also 
missed two extra points in the games that they've had him for this year. Like hitting extra points is basics, people. Um, he's only m- attempted four field goals in four games. He hit all of those. It's a mess. It is a mess at the special special teams in these games. And let's face it, neither team wants to be going out there to try to kick a game winner in this contest. They would much rather pound it into the end zone and trust their offense than rely on a kicker. And I think that that's important to call out. Uh, Derek, where are you as far as uh, the line's concerned? Where do you... Uh, are you taking the Rams plus three, the Lions minus three, going over or under? What do you like? So I have the Lions winning this game uh, with the three points. Um, so Lions minus three. And I'm going to say that this is going to stay under the 51 and a half. Weird enough, really good offensive teams. Um, but I think that this is going to be a game that no one's really going to pull out their big guns and like get it down the field or score a whole bunch of points. I definitely think this is going to be a, uh, like a 21 to 20 game or something like that where, um, there's like two touchdowns, two field goals. I know you're just talking about the, um, but, uh, I'm sorry, 24 20. I misspoke a moment ago. Uh, so Lions 24, um, it, it's going to be a close game. It's going to be uh, outside of the the cover. So Lions 24, uh, Rams 20 probably. Um, and, you know, then it's going to be under that 51 and a half. Where are you at? Uh, I'm, I'm digging what you're putting down, Derek. I'm going to go ahead and just put Lions 21, Rams 17, because instead of hitting that field goal, they'll miss it. And so I just have a few points less than you on this one. Uh, but Lions minus three, give me the under 51 and a half. If there was one I was going to call a shootout, it's the last one. Packers, Cowboys, Lions, Rams. I think the Lions are going to be physical. I think it's going to be a grinding game. It's not going to be the highest scoring game of the weekend, in my opinion. And we're probably in the same opinion there. Uh, are we moving on to Bucks at the Eagles? Yes, it is time to move to the city of brotherly love that has not been loving what their team has been putting on the field in December or January for that matter. And that is the matchup between the Baker Mayfield led Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are a two and a half point favorite with an over under on this game of 44 and a half points. Uh, Derek, this is a, this is a game that is happening in the playoffs this weekend. Um, this is the Monday night game. It, I have to say it because I'm just going to be honest with our listeners. This is the game I am least excited for in the playoffs. And if we were drafting the teams that are in the playoffs to say who we thought could win the Super Bowl, this might be teams 13 and 14 on my list because I do not have confidence in them right now. I thought the Eagles were going to bounce back and look good against the Giants. They did not. Um, Tampa, like you said, they they won a 9 nothing game against the Panthers this past week. 
uh, tell me something that might make me more excited for this game, Derek. I, are you excited for it? Am I just, I, I hope I'm not like raining on your parade here. No, no, you are not. Okay. So I, I don't know what to expect. And that might be the highest upside that I can tell you about this game. So an 11 win, uh, 11 win team, uh, a team that I thought was going to just punch their ticket right back to the Super Bowl, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, they stumbled. They got to what 10 1 and then, um, you know, lost five out of six. And none of them really looked good. None of them really looked uh, good on defense. You've got a lot of great talent, but no one to get that talent in a general vicinity. Um, so I don't know. What, I mean, I, I, I know what happened. I know that the, the Eagles lost their two coordinators, and we've seen what those coordinators can do. Shane Steichen's done a great job with the Colts uh, as the offensive guy. Um, and so, like, this is a – and there's a bit of a, a Super Bowl hangover. Like, there's going to be you know, a, a little bit of uh, – a little bit of that come along. But this is either going to be a complete blowout. The Eagles are just going to go in there uh, and mull over the, the – Buccaneers, or it's going to be a really tough game. The Buccaneers didn't show me anything this on week 18. They were trying to wrap up the division. They had to beat the worst team in football, and they put up nine points. Um, Lovey Baker, I mean, me and him would be best friends, um, but I didn't see anything that tells me that this playoffs is going to be for, you know, for anything. So, Someone has to win this game, which is the highlight of what's going to happen at the end of it. You can't end in ties. So let's just go ahead and call out a few things that I'm going to say that I like. Uh, I like the under 44 and a half in this game. <laughs> True. I, these teams have not been scoring a ton of points. And they're not allowing that many points. I know the Eagles are having a much worse year defensively, but we're not talking about an electric offense like literally any other offense in the NFC or probably most of the offenses in the AFC, including Joe Flacco's Browns. We are talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who, despite having name recognition in Baker Mayfield, Rashad White, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, like they the the points are not coming. The red zone scoring is not there. It is fairly hit and miss, and that's not great. Now, they've said Baker was potentially banged up. Uh, Baker, if you're banged up, I don't have good news for you uh, because you will be facing the Eagles defensive line, which probably is one of the best ones. I did say it wrong earlier. I said this game was in Philly. This game is in Tampa. I was just backwards all over the place on that one. But with it being in Tampa, it'll be nice out at least. But I do think that Fletcher Cox, Jalen Carter, Hassan Reddick, all of those people are going to be teeing off 
and trying to take down Baker Mayfield because Rashad White is not like it's not a power run offense. This is a shotgun offense, and I, I think it matches up pretty well for Philly. I'm I'm going to take the Eagles minus the two and a half and take the under, but I'm I'm not sitting here saying I love a lot of that, Derek. Um, but I do love the defenses. Antoine Winfield, uh, Jalen Carter, Fletcher Cox. It's going to be an exciting game to see defenses make plays. Yeah. Uh, so my my MVP of this game. And it's going to be Mr. Kelsey, the center of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Jason Kelsey. He has been called on, uh, false start and, uh, what was it called when you, like, you pretend to, to snap the ball? Um, um, I don't. Basically, he's, he's doing that. something that is, uh, you know, faking a snap. Uh, because, or he pushes the ball, uh, like when he, when he grabs the ball, he pushes like an extra half yard or something like that. He's been called on it more than he, uh, this year than he has at any time in his career. Um, and those are quick and easy penalties that are going to get you behind the sticks. Jalen Hurts, um, is not well. Um, he is Hurts. And so he's not going to be able to take a bunch of hits, uh, especially if you're expecting this game to, um, if you're expecting them to go far, far in the playoffs. Um, you know, they have a lot of hurt. Uh, I, I want the Eagles and the Dolphins to play each other because who has more hurt superstars? Uh, the Dolphins or the Eagles. Hurts questionable. DeAndre Swift is, is questionable. AJ Brown is questionable. Devonta Smith is questionable. Cam Jurgens, their right guard is questionable. Uh, you know, so the offense is, is beat up. Um, they've got deep, they've got, they've, they've, they are deep rosters and they have depth in a lot of positions. But sooner or later, you've got to do you just run the ball and, and hope that the uh, the Bucks can't can't stop you? I don't know. You might, especially if Swift is healthy, and right now he missed the last game, so he might be questionable. Um, I'll tell you this, Derek. I I do not have any interest in going out with our podcast mics and trying to interview some cows. I do not want to questionable. <laughs> I do not find that questionable things make it easy for us to predict things on this podcast. Um, any any last minute things you want to add as far as Eagles at Bucks is concerned? Yeah. So for me, I'm taking the Bucks plus two and a half. I think this is, uh, an, an, an under 44 and a half. I think this is a 13, 12 game or something like that. Last second field goal by the Eagles to win the game. But, uh, you know, they were, it's like, honestly, four field goals by the Bucks sounds about right. And a, uh, and two field goals and a touchdown for the Eagles sound about right, uh, for me. And so I got the Bucks plus two and a half under 44 and a half. 
Nice. It's going to be an exciting one, that is for sure. And that is all we have here for Super Wild Card Weekend. If you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe. Go ahead and give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We're happy to read it on the air if possible. But on behalf of my wonderful co-host, Derek, who I know is never going to give a dud of a game, my name is Caleb Walgren. Thank you for listening, and y'all have a great one. Bye, guys!